and welcome to the Anomaly Presents Podcast, the podcast about genre movies, the genre movies that inspired a genre film festival. That's the Anomaly Film Festival happening in Rochester, New York, November 4th through the 7th, 2021, at the historic Little Theater. My name is Matt Knotts, and uh, the episode that we've got coming up is a little bit different than what we usually do. Uh, this is recorded live at the Little Theater. Uh, we were lucky enough to uh, have a conversation with the filmmakers behind Blood Conscious, writer-director Timothy Cavill and producer Christina Benke, about their uh, experience making the movie, uh, the inspiration behind it, the process in, in finding the, the perfect cast for this film, and, and kind of the, the, the social consciousness that, uh, and the inspirations behind the, the film. Uh, it's a great conversation. Uh, thank you very much to... Uh, Timothy, Christina, and our, our own Vanessa Cheeks for uh, moderating the Q&A. Uh, one, one quick word before we get to it. I don't want to ramble on for too long. The sound quality on this is not perfect. Uh, we did record it live at the, uh, at the Little, so it, it does sound like it's recorded in a, a big room. But I, I think the conversation is great. You can definitely hear what's happening, and I think it's a, a valuable conversation to, uh, to tune into. So... Without further ado, here comes uh, the Q&A for Blood Conscious, recorded live at The Little on Anomaly Presents. You guys like the movie? Yeah. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming, obviously, to support Anomaly and also these fine folks right here and uh, stream Blood Conscious with us. Now to you guys. We want to welcome uh, Timothy Cobble, the writer and director. So welcome and thank you. Thank you. And Christina Benke, the producer of the film. So welcome. Thank you. So obviously we're going to get into the details of Blood Conscious and the film itself. But first, uh, Tim, the family's obviously here. They're very excited to see this film. <laughs> they made that very clear when they came and, and showed us their tickets. How do you feel? being from this area and finally seeing this film on screen at the Little. Um, great. It's uh, It's been a long journey. I wrote it in 2014 and we shot it in 2017. So um, it feels like a huge chunk of my life uh, dedicated to kind of uh, making it and releasing it. Um, so it's, it's wonderful to be able to come back and, and see it here. This is the first time I've seen it in a theater. Um, so it's nice to do that in a theater that I used to go to growing up. Uh, I've seen films that, that inspired me and, and were the films that, uh, that kind of um, spurred me to pursue filmmaking to begin with. So. Alright, so this film obviously starts somewhat at the end. A horror movie or a horror has already taken place by the time these three main characters get there. So what made you pick this starting point, pick the end to start, I guess you'd say? Sure. Uh, it came from watching uh, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2. Um, and if anybody remembers that film from the early 80s, uh, the first half of the film involves the character Ash in a cabin fighting demons uh, with a shotgun. Um, and about halfway through the film, uh, two siblings show up, um, imagining they're, they're coming to, to visit their parents. Uh, and what they find is this bloody mess with 
the, the person we've been following is a protagonist lying on the floor with but you know bodies are spewing uh, about and, and bloods everywhere in a shotgun. So they immediately think that he's a crazy person and they and they uh, lock him up. And within a few minutes, demons start to attack and, and they realize their error. Um, but I watched that and kind of thought, oh, well, wouldn't that be an interesting uh, place to begin a film? Um, only you know with a twist of well, you never you never really do get to see. Uh, the confirmation of whether they're demons or not. Uh, and you just spend, the, these characters just spend the entire story uh, trying to figure out, well, you know, is something just a, uh, just a, a, a strange, um, you know, happenstance? Is it just a coincidence that something happens? Or is this indicative of a, of a larger uh, thing that's going on, like demon possession? So obviously, uh... You're right, the, the kind of lack of confirmation is something that leaves that door open. And then you introduce the character of Margie into the mix and it kind of lets people fill in the gap. So as far as her character and kind of, is it demons or is it just people acting crazy? You know, how did you kind of find that character to kind of push that forward? Sure. Um, so I, this was, um, I think back in 2004, um, people may remember there were riots happening in Ferguson, and this was in the aftermath of um, uh, a murder of a guy named Michael Brown. And there was a lot of media um, sort of swirl about his life and, well, what did he do earlier that day? What, 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 you know, these like little details about, about kind of breaking down his life. And I was kind of disturbed by sort of how. Um, people were kind of talking their homes, almost like little Sherlock Holmes, like trying to figure out this guy. Um, and I thought, well, it's, it's very strange how people are able to sort of build this narrative off almost nothing about somebody that's been killed that they that they that they don't know. Um, and how can you know how what might I apply this to the the story that we're building, where they're trying to piece things together, but it's sort of they don't really know what they're doing. They're trying to build something. And so um, that's where Margie came about, um, where it was this character who would be very sort of irritating. She's sort of the, the you know, just comes from people that you maybe everyone's met someone like this in life where like, no matter what you're in, everyone could be in the same awful straits, but somehow she's has it worse than everyone else, you know, just because she's decided this. Um, and so she would just be the most irritating person um, to be stuck stuck in a situation with. It's of course compounded by um, by the fact that the family's black and she's white, and there she has sort of you know we could it, it's not extremely overt, but it, I think it's it's sort of apparent that there you know she may may act she may have acted differently if there were let's say a white family for example. Um, but in any case, I think no matter who would have been in that cabin with her, she would have been terribly irritating. Um, and also, of course, she's a demon, in which case maybe it's all some kind of ruse. Um, but that's where that came from, and it, it just seemed like a perfect person to pit against Kevin, who is this sort of credulous, um, misfit teenager, um, and, it, and it, they, they would just kind of butt heads um, right from the start, and that's what happened when I was writing it. And Christina, you know, obviously you're going through casting and the cast for this, the three black leads, 
um, were fantastic, and Margie's like, she played that character very well. When you're doing casting, is are these conversations that you're having with the people that you're, you're, um, why am I forgetting the word, for actors do when they're auditioning? Thanks, yes. <laughs> auditioning for a role. Um, that's a great question. I, not so much, I think, in a lot of cases, um, you know, I've been working on the script for such a long time that um, we, we developed a pretty clear idea of who could embody those characters. And so when we were looking, um, and speaking for me, I, I knew exactly who I was looking for. It was just a matter of trying to find them. Um, I know in the case of Lenny Thomas, who plays Tony, we had worked with him previously. Um, so we knew that we wanted him for that role, and he was brought on board. Um, and then um, I have actually worked with Lori Hamill, who plays Margie, on, a, on another thing I did. So I kind of like, uh, you know, made a check mark in my head when I met her. I was like, oh, she could be someone who could that role. Because we, we were, you know, developing it a long time before we ever shot it. Um, but uh, so it was really about finding people who, you know, understood those characters and were able to embody them. And um, I think it kind of went from there. We, I think uh, Obed Merrill was who played Kevin is the toughest person to cast because uh, we needed someone who was an adult, you know, legally speaking, so we didn't have to um, kind of deal with the additional paperwork um, in hiring a child, but then also someone who was still young enough to really feel like they're sort of fresh-faced and naive on screen. I think you did a very good job. I just want to think my favorite character, so fantastic. Well, all the credit goes over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was actually, well, um, when we found him, it was um, it was kind of like because we, we decided to, when we were looking um, to look for recent um, theater school graduates. We figured that would kind of hit the most balance of, you know, who's young enough and also has some acting training. And um, so we, I started out, um, you know, looking at different programs, and Tim recommended Ithaca College, which is his own mar. So I looked at their recent theater um, arts graduate page, and his headshot was there in the middle like, of everyone else. And I was like, I think that's him. And it was the first school I looked at. And so then I like clicked and looked at his, you know, his reel and his, and, and just, you know, kind of his empathy just poured out of the screen. I thought, oh, he's perfect. He's, so it was pretty much him from there on. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he win Best Sacrifice kind of film festival in that city? Yeah, at, at uh, Panic Fest this year in Kansas City. And just confirm or deny for me, you named Margie after one of <laughs> I, I may have named her off of uh, a beloved aunt <laughs> who may or may not be here. Want to ask me some questions? Um, she's very excited, and I wasn't sure if she'd actually seen the film when she had mentioned that the character was named after her. And I was like, oh, she's, she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> name only. <laughs> okay. And then, um, so I want to talk about the casting a little more because obviously, um, you know, it's it's great to see not only a film with three black leads, but a horror film with three black leads, and they all played their role quite well. 
Um, far too irritating, but I think personally I found Tony more irritating. <laughs> <laughs> so, aside from me, like, his character, I guess, left so many questions. Is he just a jerk, or is he a demon? How does that, like, and how does that kind of play into their whole relationship? Uh, well, I guess he was the character that I started to flesh out the first, that monologue he gives in the beginning in the, in the car, I'm selling, 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 I'm closing. That, that was the first thing I ever wrote, and that's kind of where the, you know, where I got this idea of this character. Um, and he's, in some ways, maybe my favorite character in, in, in the movie. I, I like his, um, kind of how he operates, because he's very different than my personality. Um, and I and I think in in these types of emergencies, in some ways, it, it, in the beginning of the film, let's say the first half, he's maybe the best person that could be in this situation. You know, he sort of almost you know doesn't take time to emotionally deal with this horrible tragedy. Of course, it's not his parents, but the other two are are, are obviously understandably you know upset. Um, but he's kind of looking for ways to get out of this, looking for ways to um, get help. Um, of course, he does this in a very headstrong way, which involves him him doing it personally, and while leaving everyone else to just kind of wait um, for him to kind of accomplish this. Um, but I, I think it's very interesting that, yeah, that is, is somebody that you would want to be in an emergency situation with. The problem is, he's not the kind of person you want to be in a, in a sort of a hot house, everyone trapped in a cabin um, with rising, rising tempers uh, situation. Uh, because he's sort of the worst person in, in that situation. Uh, he's, you know, he can't really, once he's kind of picked a path and moving down it, he, he can't really see the air of his own ways and, and change or just kind of pull back and show some restraint. So in this case, you know, he's, he's sort of determined that um, even if he, even if he thinks that Margie is a complete um, idiot, I mean, I, I don't know what he, you know, personally probably doesn't think very highly of her, but he, he kind of feels this need to placate her, um, uh, if, especially if the cops do show up, uh, you know, um, and he's kind of getting more and more and more annoyed at, at Kevin. And uh, Lenny and I talked a lot about the character, and one thing I had in mind, and it doesn't come through, I don't think, too much in the movie, um, just because it, there's not enough time, it wouldn't have really moved, moved the, the story along, um, is that Tony, uh, he's very prideful, but he's actually, uh, the reason for his pride is he he's actually comes from a lower class than uh, Brittany and Kevin. And so he is, he never went on vacation as a kid. He kind of, he says, he kind of mentioned this early on, like, oh, your dad wanted me to come up here because he, know, he knows I've never been done before. Like maybe, maybe her, Brittany's dad was actually, you know, kind of nice to him because he understood that he kind of came up from a, a bad situation or, or a lower lower class situation than, than these kids. But it's also like Lenny is so resentful of Kevin because he says, oh, you're playing video games, you're at college, you don't care about anything, you know. And, and here you have these things that are you should be appreciating and what have you. Um, and look at me, I'm, I'm out hustling, I'm, I'm out kind of doing this and kind of making it my own way, that type of thing. So I kind of wanted to fit that in there, but um, there really wasn't uh, much room to exploit it, you know, and still and still keep the story moving along. Um, but it's something we talked about a lot, and Lenny understood that pretty well. Um, uh, 
uh, and and we kind of we discussed it a bit, but it, we just couldn't fit it into to kind of larger scenes. It's interesting because uh, this is the second time I've seen the film. But when I at the beginning, I kind of thought about that. I was like, I wonder if one character is supposed to be just not on the same level as as Brittany Kevin. So it did. It does come across. I think we just kind of have to be aware of like maybe what's going on and pull it in. Um, and speaking of the trio. Uh, Brittany's character, she's kind of more of the heart, whereas Tony's a little like checked out with Rob Bogato, and then Kevin is just who was teenagers trying to just grapple with everything. The the tears and like the emotion comes from Brittany. And so where where is she at the end of this movie? Because I kind of feel like after everything with Tony, she changes a little bit. Christina, do you do you kind of see that with her character as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think you know, in some ways, she has um, maybe the most dramatic arc of any of the characters because she she starts out pretty passive. Um, you know, she wants to defer to Tony while also kind of keep the peace between you know each other the next day. Um, but then, yeah, you see her almost take on a Tony role um, once he's after he dies, and I think she's calling the shots. She's kind of deciding what they're going to do, and, and she also kind of becomes the I guess the protector of Tony is like, um, oh, some of these guys step in, and it ain't gonna be Kevin, so it's got to be Brittany. <laughs> well, they, there's like a constant debate going on in the, in the dialogue about, well, what what is Kevin, right? Is he a kid? Is he not a kid? Is he, you know? And I would think by the end, I think. It, in a sense, in a sort of story sense, right? It's like, okay, well, he sort of becomes a man, right? Because he kills, he, he kills his uh, his sister's fiance. Um, uh, in, in some kind of weird, you know, uh, I guess Freudian uh, uh, way. Um, but at the end, it's like when we see him. He's curled up, sleeping on his on his sister's lap. You know, she's the one with the gun. It's like clearly he's he's a kid. Um. So when we're when I'm watching this film, um, I think one person that obviously stands out is the guy. The guy at the beginning, he comes back, and then they're with him all the way to the end. And I apologize, I don't know his name. But um, you know, what role does, I mean, obviously he plays the role of the murderer, the guy that they know is the person that kills their parents and everything like that, but is, is he just there to kind of explain to them what happened before they got there? Um, this is the, I guess we just call him the stranger, um, played by Nick Dimitri. And um, for, for me, I think it's like, and maybe you might want to talk a little bit about the casting, but for me, just in terms of the character itself, um, he's sort of, he's supposed to be basically like this kind of archetypical tough guy that is ready to just like, you know, kick ass and take names, if, you know, in the, in the, in the name of, of, of good, I guess. And in a lot of movies, you know, many movies I love, you know, this is, he's very successful at it, he's able to defeat evil or, or what have you, whether it's demons or whether it's some kind of other uh, uh, monster or whatever. Uh, but in this, I, I guess, trying to like skewer that image a little bit um, by, by making him by the, I think by the, by the time he returns, 
try to make him seem a, a little more ridiculous because he's lost his gun, he's lost his clothes, he's just running around in his underpants, and, it, and it's like, you know, he, he's not he's not quite as tough. He's just kind of this like grumpy guy. Um, he's sort of lost his power. Yeah, I think um, that was really something we tried to play with um, because you know Nick is known, especially within the horror community, as, as this almost this iconic like tough guy in movies like Steak Man and Lake Cases. He's a wonderful actor, um, and so uh, you know we when Tim had been writing it, we were thinking like, oh, wouldn't it be great to get someone like Nick Nietzsche? Uh, and then I ended up um, working for the writers of the show called Captain Leonard, which was one of the creators, and met him know him and um, through that he you know read the script and came on board and he's doing he's an amazing guest. Um, but it was it was really fun to play with that role that he's looking for um, especially since he actually is is a really talented comedic actor which he doesn't get to play with very often so you know if you're able to kind of work that into the role and also yeah subvert the masculine masculine kind of portrayal and Especially, you know, costuming, as you strip down, and then ends up going into the grocery store. There's a lot of, you know, stuff that's going on. So, I have one more question, and then we can take questions from the audience if we have some. I'm sure you're getting lots of time. But let's talk about the end of the film. So, you have basically your survivors, minus Sony, and uh, they get in the boat, they show up on shore to what appears to be was a wedding, <laughs> possibly a wedding. There, there are so many questions left at the end of this film, and that's just kind of where it's left. I'm assuming, obviously, you did that on purpose, but what what does that scene represent to you, I guess, as a combination of stuff? Yeah, uh, I think when I was originally uh, writing the script, I did a number of different sort of endings and some work with you know, most clearly there were demons, so clearly there were not demons. Um, and then it kind of settled on, oh no, we'll, we'll just sort of kind of, kind of leave it open. Um, but every single one of those endings ended in this sort of, as you say, sort of like mid-scene ending, right? It sort of cuts off. Um, and um, I guess for me, the, the, the way this, this kind of final, final um, Final film um, is it's like a it's the idea that it's sort of the unknowableness, right? You 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 should not be looking to other people to do. I guess the idea of like blood conscious to me is your ability to recognize humanity in someone else. So if you're sort of you run around wondering if someone's a demon, are you a demon? You, you know, oh you're annoying me. You're a demon. You're you're uh, you know pushing me around. Maybe you're a demon. Uh, you know whatever. Um, at the end of the day, you, you know, you really need to be looking inside and asking yourself, you know, who you are, what you are. Um, and so in this case, Keith, you know, uh, uh, Kevin and Brittany are being asked this by someone else. Um, and it's a, it's a very confrontational thing, but I think ultimately for everybody, um, you kind of have to ask that, uh, internally. Um, and so if you go around questioning other people's uh, humanity, eventually that question is going to get directed at you. And so, uh, you know, uh, that's kind of why I decided to leave it um, unanswered. We can, we can choose the answer uh, ourselves, I guess, uh, after the credits are all.
Exactly. Yeah. Adam has a mic. Raise your hand. 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 Satisfy my needs. <laughs> uh, sometimes I fall a little short. Do you have any ambition to uh, get some of your work out onto a platform like, like Netflix? Um, as of right now, the 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 film is out on on uh, video on demand, uh, iTunes, Apple TV, and uh, Amazon Prime, and a few other other places. Uh, I think it'll be. Um, a little time. We, we don't know the precise time frame, but the distributor will eventually kind of license it out to uh, streaming platforms. But we don't know which ones, and we don't know uh, the precise date yet. Uh, but it'll be delayed. It, it's a sort of a staggered thing. Christina, are more movies like made in Going straight to streaming, right? You didn't anticipate that the more this happens, the more they'll be readily available. Um, well, yeah, it, it actually, um, we're in kind of a, you know, a window, especially, you know, with everything that's happened with the, the lockdown and COVID stuff in the past couple of years. Um, so when we were making it, we didn't really know where it would end up because the movie is small, you know, if you get lucky, you might. Distribution. I know people who make movies decide to go directly to something like Amazon Prime, and um, they just have to go directly with Amazon and go from there. Um, so in our case, we actually did get you know make a deal with the distributor, um, which is lots of distributor um, among you know other places that it's in for Deadwise particularly. But um, yeah, it's uh, you know we we were never sure is it going to be you know streaming some of the some of the films. Went right to a streaming platform called Shutter, just kind of like Netflix for um, We didn't get, you know, we didn't go straight there to make sure there were no, but we now, you know, have this kind of different kind of rollout where we're on, you know, release to, um, you know, Amazon, iTunes, Video, like Google Play. It's like where we basically can go and rent movies digitally, um, as well as, you know, a few theaters around the country. Um, so it's it's been a it's it's been a very different experience I think than if we were to go say straight to streaming, which is um, you know what what, what some other movies do. Um, so it's I think there are um, you know benefits to both, um, but I'm I'm glad that we actually you know took it this way because I think um, you know when it goes straight to streaming, it's it's there and it's not really going to be anywhere else. So people can really find it on their and um, you know, watch it on the platform of their choice, or if not the theater and watch it, or support them with the theater by watching it um, virtually. So it's, I, I think, I think this is a good fit for us. Um, you guys said you were going to have an embarrassing question for them, and now you have that. We're just <laughs> well, okay. Well, I guess that's all of the questions. Going once, going twice. Oh.
dives into a dark, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, a boathouse, and uh, and yanks a pistol out of the hand of a dead woman. So he, he grabbed that later? Yeah. I assume he left. No, I'm not back in that. Quite a lot, I think. Uh, as far as all the dialogue, it, it's all written by me. Which I have a couple, you know, with phrases and what have you. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, I, I would say um, each of those characters um, are very much embody a certain maybe. I don't want to. I don't want to say, oh, it's their personality, but a certain aspect of their personality. Because I mean, Lenny's Lenny's very much not uh, uh, tell me he's he's not he's not uh, the kind of big big prideful bully, um, but he has a, he's a very gregarious person, and I think that he was able to kind of channel that into uh, to Tony and, and kind of uh, bring bring that out. Uh, but in, in the case of uh, uh, Obinera, who plays Kevin, um, in, in a lot of ways, yeah, he brought a huge amount of himself. Uh, to that because he was the eight and a couple of years older, but almost the same exact age of the, you know, almost almost basically the same uh, uh, person that he was playing in, in just sort of a, a general general terms. So 
we've got um, really used to the versions of them that we uh, could see from the scene and look for so long. And so it is a little bit of a, you have to kind of recalibrate, you know, and use your sense and, and like remind yourself, like, oh, you're a completely different person than I knew you, like, than I know you that I've come to know you as. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just kind of a, a little bit of a weird thing, but, but it's interesting. So, method acting on set, just walk around. Really saw that people <laughs> no, no. Thankfully not. <laughs> all right. Well, I believe. You have one more question. Oh, oh. Sorry, sorry. Hold on, really. Um, <laughs> oh no. First of all, I really appreciate the Michael Brown. I have like two questions, real quick. The uh, American flags that keep showing up. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that you uh, planted them there to uh, bring up this division. Or the history of it, and uh, my big question though is, what, what, where is that quote that leads off the movie from? Uh, it wasn't attributed, and I was wondering why you wanted that to be the first thing that the audience sees. Sure, huh? both great questions. So the uh, the first one, uh, the American flags appear kind of interspersed around the the cabin. In fact, not put in there by us. All of those were there in place when we rented the cabin. Um, I decided to leave them just for basically for the reason you decided, which is like, oh, okay, well, it's sort of kind of a loaded symbol given the context of of these this sort of horrible night where the, the you know this sort of violent struggle that's happening in his cabin these this paranoia I thought okay well you know people can take what they want from it so why 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 remove these merit flags and just leave them there the people kind of um uh apply sort you know um apply what they want to it which is great um but yeah they were all they were all there uh in place and um in the case or in the to the 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 second question was the quote in the beginning. Um, that's actually a quote from uh, the Book of Job, and it I came across it because it's used at the beginning of a short story I really like. Um, uh, called uh, Shock and a Painter. Uh, by Sheridan Le Fanu, who's a Victorian, uh, you know, Gothic horror writer. Um, and I liked it because we were using it just as a, a thing that we were kind of using for some stand-in um, uh, words. Um, for, it's in the whispers that you hear yeah. in the dreams. We were whispering it in different places, and I kind of grew to like it so much while we were whispering it over and over again, and I thought, ooh, it might be a nice thing to add, and this happened very late in the, in the game, to add uh, at the beginning to sort of prep the audience that, um, to the fact that they're not just going to see, let's say, uh, a slasher movie. Um, I, I love slasher movies, but, uh, and this is very much based on, on that, that, sort of, that sort of slasher premise, you know, campground massacre. But it, the idea of let people know, look, it's, it, this is not really that. This is some, you know, let's kind of um, keep in mind that there may be some kind of like um, larger moral uh, compass to the to the film. Um, 
and um, just sort of, I guess, acclimatize um, the audience just to, that there might be something um, uh, going on beneath um, the, the sort of razzmatazz of, of campground and blood and, 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 uh, and the you know, big stir music at the beginning. I might be stealing Vanessa's final question, but I just want to ask, what, what are you guys working on next? What's your next I was literally going to ask you that question. What are you guys working on next? Wow, that's a very good question. Because we, the film we're working on right now is something we, we have been kind of kicking around for uh, some time. Um, it could have easily become our, our first film, but um, just for sort of logistical reasons, we decided to do, to do Blood Conscious. Um, it's actually, um, it's more of a noir film. It's not really horror. Um, it's a murder mystery, but it's actually uh, set in Western New York, specifically. So um, we pretty much wanted to do Will there be garbage plates featured in this film? They'll be delivered to the set. Oh, I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, it's a great film, and we're happy to screen it here. I know we all enjoyed it, um, especially that row right there, particularly filled with your family. But uh, thank you so much. Well, thank you, and uh, thanks to the little and Emily, and thanks to everyone for coming out tonight. Thank you again to uh, Timothy Cavill and Christina Benke for spending the evening with us and, and uh, telling us a little bit more about the uh, the film Blood Conscious. It was uh, it, it's a great movie. I highly recommend watching it if you haven't already. Uh, it is available again on all streaming sites, uh, the Amazon, Apple TV, Google TV, all that good stuff. Uh, it is available on video on demand as well. Please, if you haven't already, I do uh, suggest you avail yourself of that. It's uh, it's well worth it. Q and A's are such a great part of the the film festival experience. Uh, it's great to be able to uh, watch a movie and then then be able to you know pick the brain of the folks that made it, and that that's kind of what makes film festival special. The reason I'm bringing that up is that ostensibly this podcast is about a film festival. It's the Anomaly Film Festival again, November fourth through seventh, uh, twenty twenty one, here in Rochester, New York. Uh, we do have uh, an Indiegogo going right now. Uh, if you'd like to support us and join us, get in on the fun. We've got plenty of perks available, including early bird passes. We've got an amazing t-shirt designed by Megan Murphy. It, it's maybe my favorite one we've ever put out. Uh, you can sponsor an episode of this very podcast. You can uh, tell us what you want us to watch, and uh, we will, within reason, watch it. Uh, yeah, so please, you know, please support us and uh, please come out to see the the festival. We're we're really looking forward to it. We're we're starting to put together the program, figuring out what movies we're going to show, what films that we're 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 going to present, and boy howdy, it, it is shaping up to be a big one. Uh, we're super looking forward to doing it, and we're super looking forward to seeing you there. Um, if you want to know more about the festival, it's anomalyfilmfest.com. Social media is all Anomaly Film Fest. Surprisingly enough. We, we appreciate your patronage uh, in, in more than ways than one. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, hope to see you in theater. Hope to see you in your brand new Anomaly t-shirts. And uh, most of all, looking forward to seeing you in person. Until next time, I've been Matt Knotts. This has been Anomaly Presents. Good night.
If you want to learn more about Rochester and Buffalo's wide range of diverse cuisines, Nominate Meals might be for you. The fun part is you have no idea what you're going to get until you pick your meal up at one of our fantastic events. All you have to do is go to nominatemeals.com and order a meal for two for $40 that features dishes from one small, typically minority-owned restaurant. We run events at Three Heads Brewing, Fatty Beer Company in the neighborhood of Play, and also Nowhere Lounge in Buffalo. We offer drink pairings for sale that pair with each dish for that night, which really adds to the experience. Go to nominatemeals.com to order your meal for an upcoming event and join the nomination.